our scriptures this morning. Our first one is John 15, 12 to 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Romans 8, 31, 39. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And our third reading is 1 Thessalonians. One, two, and three. We always thank God for you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God. Praise be to God. A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting Gail and Marlene. She was talking about a book, Unbroken. Has anybody read this? Well, good. Luke has read it. Good for you, Luke. Pretty wicked story, isn't it, Luke? It's a story of an American airman. It, It could be a Canadian just as well. But this story is about an American airman called Louis Zapparini. He was the son of Italian immigrants. From the time he could walk, he could not stand to be corralled. Unless he was in his mother's arms, he really did, she really didn't know where he might be half the time. You got any kids like that? You got any little boys like that? At the age of two, he had pneumonia. He climbed out the bedroom window, the upstairs bedroom window, crawled down, and went on a naked tear down the street with a policeman chasing after him and a crowd watching in amazement. After that, the family moved to California, and on the train to California, he ran all the way through the train and jumped off the caboose. Jumped off the caboose. Would your kid do that? I betcha. <laughs> I'm thinking of little boys. <laughs> I had three of them. <laughs> Jumped off the caboose. So they had to back the train up, 
And when they found him, he was sauntering down the railroad track, and he said, I knew you'd come back for me. At five, on his way to kindergarten, he would pick up cigarette butts and smoke them. He started smoking at five. At eight, he started drinking. He got under the kitchen table, and he drank all the wine that was on the table. He got up, he staggered out the front door, and fell face down in a rose bush. That was at eight. At eight. This kid was untamable. Untamable. When they moved to California, his father got a job in a locksmith shop. And so Louis very quickly learned how to pick locks. Mm-hmm. So if a neighbor would bake a pie, she would see Louis running down the street with her pie. He would open the back doors of bakery shops and grab stuff and run. Louis could run like a deer. He never got charged. The police never took him in. It's amazing. But Louis could run. In high school, he would pick the back door and he would let all the kids in to watch the basketball game so they wouldn't have to pay their dime. But the coach found him and he kicked him out of school. But he had a brother called Pete, a good brother. He knew what a good runner Louis was. And he talked the coach into getting Louis back into the school and getting him into athletics, trying to get him in the right direction. And Louis didn't know it. But God had a plan for him. So Pete got him into running, and he was a fantastic runner. He even made it to the 1936 Olympics. Now remember, he would only be 16 or 17 years old. He almost won. But some of the nasty runners took their cleats, and they kicked him in the legs and cut his legs all up. He still might not have won because he was very young, but he came very close. And then with an athletic scholarship, because people were seeing what a runner he was, he entered the University of South California. Now at this time, his shenanigans never let up. He would crash society weddings. He would harass his housemates by replacing their ham, deviled ham, with cat food and their milk with milk of magnesia. He never stopped being silly. And all the while, he kept on running. They thought by 1940 Olympics, Louis would break the four-mile record. However, World War II put an end to Louis's dream. And the 1940 Olympics were canceled. And Louis went to war. But God went with him. And God had a plan for him. First airplane they had, because he was an airman, he was a bombardier, they called their airplane Superman. 
And so at first they did a lot of practice flights. Louis had to learn how to hit those targets, do it accurately, and they did a lot of practicing. But during these flights, the crew had a lot of fun. The crew kept stealing Louis's gum. So what do you think Louis did? He replaced it with X-Lax. And I will leave it to you to imagine that flight. Right to where they ran out of poop bags. And one fella had to hang his butt out the window to do his business. And poor Superman painted on the back of the plane was kind of a brown color after that. <laughs> oh, what a time he had. And after that, you might question, would they hate each other? But no, they loved each other like brothers. Now, in World War II, 35,933 planes were lost in combat and accidents. And what's really, really sad is that only a fraction were lost in combat. For every plane lost in combat, six were lost in accidents. 70% of the men lost were in accidents and not a result of enemy action. There were many mechanical problems with their planes. They didn't have radar at that time to tell where each other were, so if they got into fog or into clouds, they would often run into each other, and down they would go. Into the ocean, never to be seen again. So on their first actual combat flight trip, Superman and the crew were successful in wiping out the enemy planes. I think they were called Zeros. They were being attacked by Zeros, and they managed to wipe them out, and they blew up an ammunition shed, but Superman sustained 594 bullet holes. A couple of them were the size of doorways. They weren't just little holes. And eight out of the 10 crewmen were badly injured and one died. And they had 500 miles to get back to the base and they didn't know if Superman would make it, but he did. And when they landed, they found one of the tires had been shot. It was flat, so they did a bit of a... They lost control when they landed, and Superman was so damaged that he could never be used again. Now, air raids were another story. Air raids brought total terror and panic. Even worse than when they were in the air. Taking an excerpt from the book, it says, it was hell on earth. Men moaned and screamed. One called for his mother. The voices sounded like animals crying. Men's eardrums burst. Men died of heart attacks. Arms and legs were severed. Some prayed and recited the Lord's Prayer. Dead and wounded were everywhere after the raids. Can you imagine being a part of that? And it had only just begun for Louis. He and the crew that were left were ordered, and they got new crew, but they were ordered to go and search for a lost plane, a plane that went down. 
And they were given a different plane called the Green Hornet. Louis and his crew did not like the Green Hornet. It didn't fly right. It flew like this with its tail down. They did not like it, and they couldn't find the problem. And Louis did not like this plane, but his supervisor said, ordered him to take that plane. He said it had been cleared as mechanically sound and ordered them to take it up. Now, after flying a few hours on their journey over the ocean, the plane got into mechanical problems, and it went down. Another accident. I will read what happened when that plane went under the water. I'm just going to read out of the book. So the plane went down. It's going down in the ocean or the sea, whatever it was. Far below, Louis was still ensnared in the, in the plane, writhing in the wires. He looked up and saw a body drifting passively. The plane coursed down and the world fled away above. Louis felt his ears pop and vaguely remembered that in the swimming pool at Redondo Beach, his ears would pop at 20 feet. Darkness enfolded him and the water pressure bore in with greater and greater intensity. He struggled uselessly. He thought, hopeless. Felt a sudden excruciating bolt of pain in his forehead there was an oncoming stupor, a fading, as he tore at the wires and clenched his throat against the need to breathe. He had the soft realization that this was the last of everything, and he passed out. He woke up in total darkness. He thought, this is death. Then he felt the water still on him, the heaving, heavy dropping weight of the plane around him still going down. Inexplicably, the wires were gone, as was his raft. <laughs> he was floating inside the fuselage, which was bearing him toward the ocean floor some 1,700 feet down. He could see nothing. His life jacket was uninflated. The air was gone from his lungs, and he was now gulping reflexively, swallowing salt water. He tasted blood, gasoline, and oil. He was drowning. Louis flung out his arms, trying to find a way out. His right hand struck something, and as he ring snagged on it, his hand was caught. He reached toward it with his left hand and felt a long, smooth length of metal. The sensation orientated him. He was in the open right waist window. He swam into the window, put his feet on the frame, and pushed off. Wrenching his right hand free and cutting his finger, his back struck the top of the window and the skin under his shirt scraped off and he kicked clear. The plane sank away. Louis fumbled on the cords of his May West. The chambers ballooned. He was suddenly light. The vest pulled him urgently upward in a stream of debris. He burst into dazzling daylight. He gasped in a breath and immediately vomited up the salt water and fuel he had swallowed. He had survived. He had survived. How? Louis called it luck. I call it God. God had a plan for him. First of all, I don't know how deep he was. 
But he came up that fast. How come he didn't have the bends? Isn't it the bends you get when you come up too fast from the bottom? How did he get untangled from those wires? He called it luck. I call it God. Now, there were three of them that survived that crash. There was Phil, his good friend, and Mac. I think he was one of the new guys. And they had two little rafts, and they got on them. I don't know how a shark didn't get Louie. Also, his back was scraped. He was bleeding. He came up out of that water. Wow. This guy had God on his side. And they got on these two little rafts, and you know, sharks circled them and circled them. They even jumped onto the raft trying to get them, but they clubbed them with the oars they had. In the little package that they got on the raft, they had a little bit of chocolate. And Mac, good old Mac, ate it the first night. Ate it all while they were sleeping. That was all they had to live on. And they had a small ration of water, and after five days it was gone. Now, Louis wasn't a Christian. He'd never been a Christian. But for the second time in his life, he prayed. He had prayed only once before when his mother was really sick. After two weeks of catching rainwater to drink, and things looked very hopeless, Louis began to pray all the time. An albatross landed on Louis's head, and he caught it, and they ate it. And in the little survival kit had been some fish hooks and some line, but no bait, so they used some of that for bait. And they ate many fish, and they caught birds. On the sixth day, they were so thirsty that Louis prayed if God would quench his thirst, he would dedicate his life to God. It rained. Every time they prayed for rain, it rained. God had a plan for Louis. On the 27th day, a plane came. 27 days on this little raft. Hungry. They did have rainwater. They did catch the odd fish. A plane came. Oh, goody. No, not goody. It was a Japanese plane. And they shot bullets at them. They had to jump into the water to avoid being shot by these bullets. By the second time the plane came, Phil and Mac were so weak, they couldn't jump out of the raft. And you might think, uh-oh, they're dead. No. Louis got out. He jumped. He came back up. And they had cuddled up, and they hadn't got shot. Praise the Lord. But the raft was full of holes. But the little survival kit had patching material, and Louis patched the holes. And they continued on the water. On the 46th day, 46 days on that raft, they saw an island. Praise the Lord. 
Every one of them were very close to death. Actually, Mac did die. Mac did not have the survival. Mac did not have the unbroken attitude. He kind of gave up. And he died. This island, unfortunately, was a Japanese island. And they were captured. And they had drifted 2,000 miles in that raft, in those two little rafts. Phil had been 150 pounds before they went down. He was now 80 pounds. Louis was 155. He was now 67 pounds. I want to lose weight, but not that way. That's rough. That's rough. Both had lost about half their body weight. And when they were captured, they were put into small cells and treated so badly that Louis missed the raft. Wow. Louis was extremely hydrated, and when he asked for water, they threw a cup of boiling water in his face, and they did that four times. He wished he could die, and yet he prayed all the time. Every ounce of dignity was taken from them. They quickly learned that dignity is as important and as essential to life as water, food, and oxygen. Degradation could be as lethal as a bullet. One year and 15 days of beating, starvation, and degradation, Louis was moved to a different camp, and he was hoping it might be better. It was worse. Can you imagine? It was worse. Upon arrival, he was given a blow to the head for not looking at the corporal, and then when he did look at the corporal, he got another blow to the head. This was a daily, daily thing with these guys. And Louis was beaten every day to unconsciousness, just about every day. And he prayed. He prayed, and his family never gave up on him, even after they got the notice that he was lost at sea, and after 13 months when they declared him deceased, they would not give up on Louis. They knew he had an attitude of being unbroken. So things never got better. One guard called Bird was ruthless in his beatings of Louis. He brought Louis a a pig and, and told him he had to care for the pig, but Louis had to clean the pen out with his hands. They wouldn't give him anything to clean things with. Then Bird gave him a very sick goat to care for, stating, if goat dies, you die. The goat died. However, Louis tried to hide from Bird, but remember, they had dysentery. He had dysentery. He had diarrhea so bad and he tried to go to the doctor to get some medication, but Bird caught him. And he wouldn't let him go to the doctor. But he made him pick up a six-foot beam, hold it above his head, while he sat aside and laughed and ridiculed him. <sighs> wow. And the only thought Louis had was, he cannot break me. Wow. 
And even in his, oh, he was so sick. Skin and bones. Weakness. He held that pole, that beam up for 37 minutes. I don't know how much longer he could have lasted, but bird came down and punched him in the stomach. And the beam came down and it knocked Louis out. The captives plotted to kill Bird, but they never managed to do it. The Japanese were losing the war, and this was good, but it was bad also because if an area where these captives were was captured, the Japanese would kill all of the prisoners. It was a no-win situation. The word came that August 22nd was a kill-all date. On August 15th, Louis was deathly sick, 20 bloody bowel movements a day, and he had a disease that many had due to the starvation and the terrible food called beriberi. He was a skeleton. On August 20th, they learned the war was over. American planes started dropping food for the men. Before long, they were rescued and returned home. You need to read this book. I'm just giving you a quick overview. They were not the men their families had known. They were not the men their families had known. Louis married. He had a little baby girl. He tried to run again. And he was doing pretty good. And his ankle gave out, the ankle that they had broken when he was in captivity. Never to run again. He did carry the Olympic torch at one of the Olympics, which was a very big honor for him. He had terrible dreams. We hear of our soldiers coming back, and they're, they have post stress, you know, PDST. Wow. Hear about that soldier just the other day that went in and killed people? Did he know what he was doing? Or was he back in the war? Louis had terrible dreams. A bird beating him, and one night he woke up with his hands around his wife's neck, thinking he was killing the bird. And then he turned to drink, and he drank, and he drank. Yeah, a very sad, very hard life trying to get through what had happened to him. I don't think anybody could really get through it without the help of God. And so Billy Graham was in town on one of his crusades, and Louis's wife was in just on the verge of divorcing him because he was erratic, he was crazy. And she went to Billy Graham's crusade, and something within her told her not to divorce him. And she came home and she said, Louis, you've got to come. And Louis didn't want to come, but he went. First meeting, he walked out. And again, she coaxed him to go. And this time, God got a hold of him. Reminding him of the prayer, the promise. God, if you save me, I will dedicate my life to you. Reminding him of that. 
he went home. It's amazing how God can change things. He went home, he dumped out all his liquor, he stopped smoking. He went back to Japan to the prisons where the guards who had beaten him senseless, taken all, everything from him. And he went in and he shook their hands and he forgave them. That had to be hard. He forgave them. That's what God does for you. He even forgave Bird. God removed all that hate. Louis eventually bought a, an old campground, and it, it took him a couple of years to get it into shape, but what he did was he took wayward boys into that camp, and he changed a lot of lives. Louis was a hero. God had a plan for him. So I really want to say, if you have a kid or a grandkid that you think is untrainable and wild, a kid or a grandkid that seems to get into a lot of trouble, don't give up on them. God never gave up on Louis. Pray for them. Give them Jesus. Because God has a plan for them too. So we remember our war heroes today. Every man and woman that made that sacrifice for us. We remember today men and women who are still making that sacrifice for us. May God bless and protect them. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, hear our prayers and protect our troops who sacrifice themselves to protect us. Be with our fallen soldiers. Be with their loved ones. Bless those who are still working toward peace and justice in this world. Protect the innocent. The innocent. So many innocent that get in the way of war. Protect the children. I ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So we move from the heroes of our war who will give their lives for us to another hero who gave his life for us. But this hero is God himself. God sent him to us. He had a plan for Jesus. He had several plans for Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled them all. He taught us how we should live. He taught us how we should love one another. He wants us not to have war. Because of our foolishness, our foolish ways, our prejudices that we let get in our way and allow us to hate, God knew we were a hopeless people. And he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to forgive our sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how do we ever thank you for what you've done for us in the gift of your Son, the one who went to the cross, who was beaten, who died without mercy, Father. And he was willing to do that for us. 
Thank you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.